Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Tim Staples of Catholic Answers. I'm excited to let you know that I also teach high school apologetics for homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. There are also recorded independent learning courses at homeschoolconnections.com. Whether you take apologetics with me, literature with Joseph Pierce, or philosophy with Bill Donahue, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, it's a great way to get Catholic learning for your family. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. Welcome to Real Living. This is Lavinia Spirito with Mary Lou Nemechek, and this is part two of our little series on Holy Week. We are recording this on Holy Wednesday, on um, the Wednesday of Holy Week. Uh, in our prior show, which we would encourage you to go back and listen to on this platform if you can, uh, we kind of introduced the concept of Holy Week. Why is this week holier than any other whole weeks, Mary Lou? Why is this week holier than every other week? Oh, because this this is where salvation history is fulfilled. The passion, death, and resurrection. Exactly. And there's so many, if you know the prophets, and we would encourage you to become more familiar with the prophets, um, these this is like it's all coming to a head in this week. So many Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in the week of uh, Holy Week, and uh, e- even more actually become um, fulfilled through Holy Thursday, Holy Friday, of course, with the Passion and Death of the Lord, and on Easter Sunday. So that's it really pays, brothers and sisters, to know your scriptures. It pays to know the Old Testament, because the prophets really build up to this point in salvation history, uh, a, a Messiah, even really as far back as Genesis, the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in Genesis three fifteen, Jesus is pre is foretold. You know, the 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 Adam and Eve have just blown it; they've just been thrown out of heaven. Uh, it's all a, a mess. But there is the Lord gives them hope, and He says that even though. Um, the serpent is alive and well, and you just gave him the keys to the kingdom. You will crush his head with your heel. And that is, and that's, of course, to the woman, but also to the offspring of the woman. So we go from Genesis all the way to the last book of the Bible. So from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, in which we have the same cast of characters, the serpent or the dragon, uh, so same sort of Hebrew word, Nahash, um, and the son, the offspring, and the woman. So we have this drama being played out from Genesis to Revelation, except in Revelation, the dragon is defeated. The serpent is defeated. So again, it, it really pays to know your scriptures, brothers and sisters, well, because of the sin of Adam is why we're going through all of this. Mm-hmm. And that that sin brought death into the world. And so Jesus came to rescue us from that death. And um, I know in the last show you were talking about Tenebrae. 
And um, what are the tenebrae, Mary Lou? Well, it's it's a it, as you said, it's the the word means darkness and so forth. And what the church is doing is getting ready for what's going to happen. And um, there was something in the Magnificat for this week for Holy Week. And it described Tenebrae as recounting not simply the ruin of a city, it's the ruin and downfall of a universe, a lament for the entire gamut of human suffering that has descended upon the world because of the sin of Adam. So we're heading into that darkness. You know, because of sin, darkness and death came into the world. And we're being reminded of that. And, and in this Tenebrae service, the church is dark. They you have the candles and each time a lamentation is, is sung, a candle is put out till the church is completely dark. Um, and, and in fact, if you go this week and study the liturgy of the hours, there's lamentations um, on um, today, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday. I mean, the readings in the liturgy of the hours are especially beautiful now. Yeah. In the dark. I mean, yes. there, you know, lamentations was composed by as a liturgy for the people who were left in Jerusalem to wander around the ruins of the temple and quote unquote lament, sort of straight up complain, you know, and lament the destruction of the sanctuary and the departure of um, of most of the population into slavery. Um, so yes, I suppose you know we get, we are we won't without Jesus, without baptism, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we would still be in bondage and slavery. And and really, lamentations would really be the only appropriate uh, thing that we could sing. But because we we go through the darkness, again, again, I can never get away from this image by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, who said that as uh, humans and modern society decides that they can do without God. And as God, who is light, is pushed to the margins of society, the more you turn the lights off and the more you push them off to the side, the more the darkness will take over, right? And that's kind of the, in a certain sense, the state of the world without Jesus is they think they know everything. <laughs> you know, they think they have all the answers and all they're doing is just, uh, ending up in um, in death and destruction. You know, in the end, not to seem very, um, uh, you know, to sound like the prophet Jeremiah, but that's kind of <laughs> the way it is, you know. So well, in Jeremiah, he says, you know, choose life or death, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, he also says he's one of the great prophets of the new covenant. You know, I will, I will circumcise your heart and I will bring um, light and not, a darkness and life and not death. And that's the choice before us. So the Tenebris service is a beautiful service to go to on Holy Wednesday, on the Wednesday of Holy Week. And then there's, of course, Holy Thursday. Now, Holy Thursday is particularly beautiful because there is, of course, a Mass. But then there is this tradition of um, attending an hour of adoration, if possible, to watch with Jesus in the garden. And that's one thing I'm very excited about for our upcoming trip to Israel is that we will actually have an hour of adoration in the very garden of Gethsemane, in the place where Jesus and Peter and John and James uh, watched, you know, they watched, or rather they slept yeah. and Jesus suffered and watched and, sl and, and sweated blood. You know, I read something. Re remember the eight olive trees that we saw in the garden of Gethsemane? Mm-hmm. 
that they represent the eight apostles that were fell asleep. Um, oh, right. You know, the eight were together and then the three were right with Jesus. <laughs> mm-hmm. And everybody was that's interesting. Right. So uh, that's a beautiful tradition. I think the idea of um, kind of keeping Jesus company, which is really what adoration is all about. Right. Um, and this tradition is called the night watch. And it recalls how Jesus invited his apostles to stay with him while he prayed. But what foreshadowed the, you know, the, the mass for Holy Thursday was the Passover mm-hmm. that occurred. And, um, you know, what a beautiful thing that was and was held, you know, each year and so forth um, at the temple. And um, I was telling you about the um, uh, Brant Petrie, who gave a talk on on that through the Augustine Institute. He was um, uh, saying, and you've talked about it so much in your lectures, but the number of people that came to Jerusalem for this and just the the method of of taking the lambs and 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 um, sacrificing the lambs was so unique and foreshadowed what was happen, happening as Jesus being the lamb that was sacrificed. And um, uh, Josephus in the uh, first century um, talked about the number of lambs being slaughtered were like over 250,000. Mm-hmm. And that they had assembly lines. There were 30 in a line, the men, and then the priests were um, there and there was like a, a rail on the priests were below the rail. So as they slit the, the necks of the lambs, the blood would flow. The priests would catch it in gold or silver vessels and pass it down, throw it against the altar. There were two holes at the bottom. The blood would flow down to the kindred where the stream was coming. So the blood and the water intermingled. I mean, it's all there. It's mm-hmm. all there. And also, um, there was someone else. Oh, Saint, um, oh gosh, Justin Martyr said that when the lambs were sacrificed and they were taken out, you know, the person there would skin the lamb. There were skewers, and they would put a skewer down. Let's just say through the mouth, down through the body. Another skewer from the forelegs across. So when the lambs were roasted, they were in the form of a cross. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just. Just every visual ties in with what happened to Jesus. With Jesus being the Lamb of God. Yeah. And, and, and slaughtered on a cross. Well, continue to continue the image of the blood in the Kidron Valley. There were two holes in the in the in the floor uh, behind the altar, and the blood was supposed to drain because imagine all the blood <clears throat> that was sacrificed in this temple. If it stayed, it would like first of all imagine the smell. <laughs> You know, I, you know, and they would wash the blood down with water and the water would, of course, mingle with the stream at the foot of the Kidron Valley. What I like is that Jesus and his apostles had to cross the Kidron Valley from the upper room in order to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane. all the while reciting the great Hallel, right? Reciting the number of Psalms that is designed for Passovers of which Psalm 118 is the preeminent one. This is the day the Lord has made. 
let us rejoice and be glad in it. The, the stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And there's Jesus leading his disciples, chanting these psalms, crossing over the Kidron Valley, stepping on the stones that contain the blood and the water of the sacrifices. That's why going to Israel, I think, is fundamental to get a picture of how these things could have happened, you know, geographically, you know. So we've talked about uh, Holy Thursday. The one more thing we want to mention about Holy Thursday is that this is the day in which all priests renew their vows, renew their vows as priests, kind of reconsecrate themselves uh, to the Lord in with their holy, with the anointing of holy orders. Now, the next day, of course, we know is Good Friday. It commemorates the time. Now, of course, uh, traditionally, what the what the, the scriptures say is that Jesus was, was arrested on a Thursday. Of course, you know, there are differences of opinion. If uh, if uh, Jesus um, did the, the Holy Supper in the Essene quarter, he may have been following a lunar calendar, in which case he would have been celebrating the Passover on a Tuesday instead of a Thursday. And so it gives you a little bit more time for him to be arrested and to be in uh, jail and to be tortured and then to be crucified on Friday. But either way, either way, um, Jesus was taken to the house of the high priest Caiaphas, and we've been there. We've been in the dungeon where Jesus was suspended by his arms in a pool of water from a hole in the ceiling in total and complete darkness, darkness, right? After having been scourged. And can you imagine what that, what that must have been like? And in fact, it is in the depths of this particular place, this dungeon, in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest that was excavated and found uh, from the first century, um, that um, that we read Psalm 88. Psalm 88 is the one psalm that has no hope. The one psalm that, you know, details the troubles of the man who has been persecuted and killed, and he's innocent. And then that is the most appropriate psalm to read there. So Jesus sustained, and I think uh, the, the movie The Passion described that um, so beautifully. You know, the mother is upstairs mopping up the blood of her son and the son is one floor down hanging from his arms, you know, that kind of thing. Now, whether that was historically accurate or not, you know, we don't know, but we do know it was something like that, right? From the evidence of the scriptures. And then of course, on Holy Friday, we are commemorating uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Now he sustained a Roman crucifixion, which was a bloody and gruesome and humiliating death. Now, there have been little smart Alex that have said, oh, there are worse ways to die. There probably are worse ways to die, but for that time and for that place, this was the most humiliating and the most painful and the most protracted way to die. Because eventually, because your arms were suspended away from your body, your diaphragm, would not have a chance to exhale. So you basically died of two things, of hypovolemic shock, which means blood loss, and two, with of asphyxiation, because you wouldn't be able to breathe. And so those, there are many other contributing causes, perhaps, to the physical death of Jesus, but we could probably just imagine those things. Remember, having sustained a Roman scourging, he sustained more than the 40 lashes which were prescribed to him under a Jewish law. Remember, Jewish law said you cannot 
scourge somebody more than 40 times. But in this case, the evidence from the Shroud of Turin shows that the man in the shroud was actually scourged by two different individuals of uneven height, so a tall guy and a short guy, using the famous cat of nine tails. We call it, uh, sort of commonly speaking, but it was called a flagellum or a flagrum in Latin. And it was a piece of wood with some long leather strips with pieces of bone or metal embedded or rocks actually embedded in the tip of each one so as to cause maximum damage to the person who was being scourged. Ancient writers actually describe the fate of some poor people being scourged as really just their skin being lifted off their body and sometimes even their muscles exposing their bowels and exposing their back and exposing the bones and all that stuff. So it was definitely not the kind of scourging that you see in the movies on pirate ships. Okay, that's what we're trying to say here. It was uh, it was of a completely different order. As a matter of fact, when pilot orders and scourged and then gets him back he must have been in such a bad state so he was able to tell the crowd who was baying for his blood um ecce omo here's the man and he must have and he just wanted to get him to go home you know Mm -hmm. um there are some commentators that say that um he may have wanted to scourge in a particularly brutal way to show the crowd that he dealt with the problem right so now can we go home do we have to crucify this guy well, we all know what happens there, right? During the during the the trial, about how Pilate kind of shows, in a certain sense, his pusillanimity. I love that word, pusillanimous. He was pusillanimous, meaning he was a coward. You know, in the end, he did whatever he had to do to get out of the situations, right? Which was wash his hands of the fate of Jesus. And so, Good Friday, we have the commemoration. Um, in during Passion Sunday, so last Sunday we had the reading of the Passion of Jesus, and it's this year it's the version, it's Mark's version, which is very shorter and more succinct, but it does include the detail that when Jesus breathed his last, the veil in the temple was torn from top oh. to bottom. Right. And remember, the word veil is uh, a bit of a misnomer. It was more like a thick tapestry sort of um, covering like a like a almost like um, a curtain, a, a thick curtain. The, the Torah says it was the thickness of a man's hand. So we're not talking about a little sort of organdy veil that you kind of reach down and can rip. No, this was something that actually took you know, it would. It was a supernatural effort, obviously. Especially, uh, it was sixty feet high, so from top to bottom, for the veil to be torn. And what did the veil cover? The veil covered the holy of holies, Always. representing the very holiness of the presence of God, which the people did not have access to, and only the high priests had access access to only once on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So, oh, so many layers are being, you know that Jesus dying on the cross, the veil is torn. Access is given to all of us, to you and me, especially women at that time. They couldn't even get past the court of women to get close to the uh, Holy of Holies. So that's all that, you know, that's what all that stuff, when you read the scriptures, that's what all that means. You know, that that idea that somehow um, Jesus provides with the tearing of his body, he provides um, access 
to the Father. And that is what we celebrate the next day, of course, well, two days later, because we have to wait on Holy Saturday, right? Right. We're waiting around. And that's been one of my favorite readings in the Liturgy of the Hours is that great, I think it's a second century homily about what's going on. And there was actually, you know, what's going on? Jesus is freeing, as you were saying, Abraham and Moses and all those guys, and David and all those guys, right? But there was a great song on Christian radio. This was about 30 years ago. Um, when before we had Catholic radio and on Christian radio, there was this great song of uh, Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus um, died and was raised. And he's talking about how <laughs> he's saying, um, you know, he's talking to the people in Sheol, to Moses and Abraham and all the guys. And Lazarus is saying, yeah, me and Jesus, we're just like this. We're tight and we know each other and he's going to do some amazing things. And then all of a sudden he says, and actually, I feel like I hear him right now. And then you have the in the background, Jesus calling him, Lazarus calling him out of the tomb, Lazarus. And, and Lazarus keeps talking, saying, you know, that's funny. I just feel like I just can hear him right now. And then finally he says, you know what? He is calling me right now. I better go. And there's this great sort of departure of Lazarus from Sheol back into the land of the living called by, by Jesus. And so that's where Jesus is going on Holy Saturday. Did you have any? Well, there's on, on Saturday, there's a reading, I think it's from the fourth century. They don't know who wrote it about Jesus and Joel talking to Adam. Mm-hmm. explained to Adam how he came down to save him. Mm-hmm. And he reminded Adam that he was his God. And out of love for you and for your descendants, I now by my own authority command all who are held in bondage to come forth, all who are in darkness to be enlightened, all who are sleeping to arise. And he reminds Adam, see the on my face the spittle I received in order to restore to you the life I once breathed into you. See, there are the marks of the blows I received in order to refashion your warped nature in my image. On my back, see the marks of the scourging I endured to remove the burden of sin that weighs upon your back. See my hands nailed firmly to a tree for you who once wickedly stretched out your hand to a tree. I mean, it's not more clear than that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would exhort you all, brothers and sisters, to uh, go deeper this Holy Week. Go deeper, watch the movies, read the books, go to the services, deepen your prayer life, deny yourself a few things, and remember that Jesus is risen. Thank you for joining us. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.